Lord, we come before you um, with thanks that you give us the opportunity to, to seek you in your word. And not only do you give us your word, but you give us the Holy Spirit to, to guide us in all truth. God, so I pray that that would happen tonight, that these wouldn't just be words on a page, but they would be living and powerful to us, that they would impact us and our lives. Lord, as you called Samuel at such a young age, Lord, I know you have a calling for each and every person in this room, um, God, and I pray that uh, through this time there would be um, maybe a, a, some understanding or an idea of what that calling is, uh, both generally and specifically. Lord, so we ask that you would speak to us, that you would move in power uh, in our hearts, Lord, and that we would be changed uh, by this text. In Jesus' name, amen. First Samuel chapter 3, we're going to see in this chapter that Israel is in a state of darkness, uh, meaning they're not hearing anything from the Lord. The Lord wasn't communicating. There wasn't widespread revelation. And we'll discuss that. But in the midst of this dark period where people have deaf ears or they're not hearing or God's not speaking, regardless of what the case may be, we see that God speaks to someone specifically. He's going to speak to Samuel. He's going to call him as a young man, perhaps even a young child. And we'll see that God doesn't just call Samuel to hear what he has to say. He also calls Samuel to deliver a specific message. See, God called Samuel both to receive the word of God and deliver the word of God, which brings me to the title of this teaching, called to receive and deliver, called to receive and deliver. See, it's interesting the word called or call in this chapter is mentioned about 11 times. Okay, I could have miscounted. Okay, so if you say there's 10 or 12, I'll trust your judgment. I counted 11. All right, so 11 times we see this word call or called or calls. And in the Hebrew, this is the word kara. That's Q-A-R-A. And this word means simply to call or to shout or to proclaim or to appoint. And we see the word used both ways, both to proclaim and to appoint. See, God appointed Samuel to proclaim a message. He called him to receive this message. He called him to proclaim this message. We too are both called to receive the word of God and we're called to deliver, communicate, to spread the word of God. Now, more often than not, people fall on one end of the spectrum, meaning they're always receiving, but never delivering. They listen to sermons all the time. They get good messages. God might even speak to them through their devotion life. And they got all this knowledge, all this stuff, all this good revelation that the Lord's revealed to them, but they're not sharing it. And then there's those that, that always got something to say and they're always sharing, they're always delivering, but they're spending so much time delivering that they're not receiving. And it's important to find a balance between those two that we're both receiving the word of God and we're delivering it. We're called to do both. See, Samuel in this text would receive for the very first time a message 
from the Lord. But this message wasn't just for him. This message was specifically for Eli and his house. But this was the beginning of something very special. This was the beginning of the relationship that God would establish with Samuel where he would continue to give him messages with the expectation that Samuel as a prophet would deliver his message. So let's look at this in first Samuel chapter three, verse one. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. So this is a dark time period in Israel. We see the word of the Lord was rare in those days, meaning God's not speaking. He's not speaking to people. Now, we can look at this several ways. We know that it's God's responsibility to speak, right? We can't make God speak. We can't force him to speak. And we know that there's times when God does speak and there's also times where he's silent, where he doesn't speak. And we see that throughout scripture. There's periods of silence with specific individuals or the group as a whole. And there's times when God is communicating abundantly. But regardless of God's responsibility, the people have a responsibility too, right? We have a responsibility. And the people's responsibility is to seek God. The people, they might not be hearing from the Lord because they might not be seeking him. Now, I'm sure Hophni and Phineas play a part in this, right? Because we discussed in 1 Samuel chapter 2 how Hophni and Phineas were corrupt leaders and they made people abhor, the Bible says, worshiping God. They abhorred the sacrifices of the Lord. Why? We discussed how Hophni and Phineas, they were misusing the sacrificial system and they were taking the best part of the meat and they were taking the fat and they were taking these things first, putting themselves before God when really they were supposed to wait for the offering to be presented to God and then they got a specific part of the animal. And we discussed that a couple weeks ago. So we know that these corrupt leaders led the people to not only abhor worship, but it likely led the people uh, to, to not really have a desire to, to seek God. Remember, these priests were a representation of God. And if these priests are corrupt and they're representing a God, then they're representing a God that's possibly corrupt. Now, we know that our God is not corrupt, but the picture that's painted because of these leaders, as they're supposed to imitate God, they're not imitating God accurately. They're giving God a bad name. And now the people, they abhor sacrifices. They abhor worship. And now they're not hearing God. From the Lord. Now, though, likely Hophni and Phineas, these corrupt leaders, play a big part in that, nevertheless, the people do have a responsibility to seek God, to seek His voice, to pursue that relationship and hear from Him. And each of us, not just me, not just the other pastors and leaders and board and women's ministry and all the other different ministries and leaders that we have here, it's not just their job to seek the Lord in His voice. It's, it's all our job. It's it's each of our responsibilities to seek God in his voice in hearing his voice. Are you doing that? Are you seeking the voice of the Lord? Because he calls each of us to it in Jeremiah chapter 33. I'll read it for you. Jeremiah chapter 33. He says this. 
This is for each of us. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. He says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He says, call to me and I will answer you. That's a promise. James tells us, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. That's our responsibility. That's a promise. Call to me. Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you things. I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. There's no widespread word. There's no widespread revelation. Yes, God has the responsibility to speak, but the people have a responsibility to seek. And if people aren't seeking, then how can they expect to receive these things, to receive this promise, to receive the abundance of revelation, to receive the word, to receive everything that God wants for them if they're not seeking him? Same goes for each and every one of us. We can't expect to hear his voice if we're not calling out to him, if we're not pursuing him. And it says again, there was no widespread revelation. So we know the leaders aren't hearing from God. We just heard Hophni and Phinehas. They don't know the Lord. We saw that in the last chapter. So if the leaders aren't hearing from God and the people aren't hearing from God, then these people, this nation is heading down a disastrous road. Why? Because in Proverbs chapter 29, you can write it down. Verse 18, it says this. Without vision, a people perish. Without vision, a people perish. Meaning, if God's not giving direction, if He's not giving revelation, and the people aren't receiving that vision, if they're not receiving that revelation, if people have no purpose, if they have no direction, they're going to perish. They have nothing to live for. Right? So if the people aren't receiving revelation, then the people are bound to perish. That's the state of Israel in this moment. They're not hearing from God. They're headed down a disastrous road. And if someone doesn't hear something soon, these people are indeed going to perish. Let's look what happens in the next verse. Verse Samuel chapter 3, verse 2. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. So this was true physically and spiritually of Eli. Eli, not only is he not hearing from the Lord, his eyes are growing dim. Okay, the Lord's giving us a, 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 a symbolism, if you will. See, Eli is not only not hearing from the Lord, he's not seeing the Lord at work in his life. See, when leaders aren't hearing from God, then how do they know where to go? If we as individuals aren't hearing from the Lord, how can we see where the Lord is guiding us? How can we see where he's directing us? If we're not hearing from him, then we don't know which way to go. Which brings me to the first of four points. Deaf ears lead to blind eyes. Deaf ears lead to blind eyes. If we're not hearing from God, then we're not going to see him at work in our lives. And if we don't see him at work in our lives, we're not going to know which way to go. We're not going to know the direction that he's giving us. There's a direct connection between hearing from God and seeing God at work in our lives. See, Eli, not only is he not hearing, but he's not seeing. It's literally the blind leading the blind. How can this high priest lead a nation if he can't see, nor can he hear? He can't. And that's why God's going to make the change that he does in this chapter. 
But Jesus also talks about this, quoting Isaiah in Matthew chapter 13. He discusses the reason why he speaks in parables. And he says this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 13, speaking to his disciples. They ask him, hey, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And he says, Matthew 13, verse 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. It wasn't that Jesus didn't want the scribes and the Pharisees to hear what he had to say. It wasn't that God wanted the people in Isaiah's time to not hear what he had to say, to not see what he was doing. He was simply giving the people over to what they already decided in their hearts already. They didn't want to hear. They didn't want to see. Remember the last thing that uh, Eli heard from the Lord. He didn't hear, hear it from the Lord directly. He heard it from the man of God in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And what was that? That God's going to judge his house. That he's going to judge his sons. That he's going to kill his sons. That's the last message that Eli heard from the Lord. And it wasn't directly from the Lord. I wonder why. We can't assume. But maybe it was because just that he wasn't hearing directly from the Lord. So God had to send someone to him to speak to him. Now, Eli, he's not hearing from the Lord. His eyes are growing dim. And I wonder if perhaps it's because he doesn't want to see. He doesn't want to hear. The last thing God said to him that was that he was going to have judgment on him and his house. See, sometimes God will tell us things that we don't want to hear. And when he tells us those things that we don't want to hear, it's easy for us to close an ear. But if we close an ear, we're closing our eyes too. Because if we're not hearing from the Lord, we're not going to see the word Lord at work in our lives. And the Lord, he will have hard truth to speak to us in our lives. There will be seasons of correction. There will be seasons of trial. There will be seasons of chastening. And he will say, hey, buddy, honey, you're not perfect. And you got to grow. You got to change. Okay, if you don't, this is what's going to happen. And if we close our ear to that, what are we doing? We're not only making ourselves deaf, but we're making ourselves blind. Eli, that's his state. He's not hearing from the Lord anymore. I believe personally, Scripture doesn't tell us this, I believe he doesn't want to hear what God has to say. Because the last thing he told him was that he's going to have judgment on him and his household and his sons. See, deaf ears it leads to blind eyes. And if we're not hearing from God, we can't see what God's doing. We have no business leading people because we don't know where we're going. Eli, he's not in a position to be leading people because he's not hearing from the Lord. His eyes are growing dim. The is Israel, the nation, is in a state of darkness because of these things. Look what happens. First Samuel chapter three, verse three. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. 
Look what it says here. It says, before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle. Practically, this means just before dawn. But spiritually, as I was saying, what God's trying to get across to us was that this is a very dark time in the nation of Israel. Israel is experiencing a period of darkness because they're in a period of silence. The light is literally going out. God's glory is often described as a brilliant light. Okay, there's some foreshadowing here, and we'll get into it next chapter. But God's given us a picture here in 1 Samuel that the glory of God is departing in a sense. And we see this happen on other occasions in Scripture. If you would, in Ezekiel chapter 10, we see just that. The glory of God, it's going to depart from the temple. Why? Because the people are in sin. They keep worshiping idols. They won't submit to the punishment through Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. There's so many things that are going wrong. But ultimately God, in Ezekiel chapter 10 verse 18, gives Ezekiel this vision. And this is what happens. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. The glory of the Lord, it literally departed from the temple. Why? Because people were worshiping idols in the temple. They were doing all these things. God's glory, hey, if you don't want me, I'm going to depart. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go where I'm wanted, if you will. And there's some interesting things that are going to come up later in 1 Samuel along those lines. But the point is, we see in this case, the light's growing dim. It's a picture of God's glory getting ready to depart but as we discussed in Ezekiel, God's glory, it departed the temple. God says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God's glory, can it depart? Well, in a sense, it can. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I absolutely don't believe you can lose your salvation. But God's glory, in a sense, can depart from our temple. What do I mean? When maybe we are in sin, maybe we've blown our witness, maybe his character isn't being portrayed in our lives. Maybe we're blocking the flow of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we've grieved the spirit so much, so often to the point that we've quenched it. And now no longer do people see God's glory in our temple. They see something else. Why? Well, in Israel's case, it was because of corruption. It was because of sin. It was because specifically a majority of what Hophni and Phinehas were doing, but not just them, the people in general as well. But the glory of God was fading. It was departing. Now it says in verse 4, 1 Samuel chapter 3, the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here I am. See, the famous historian, Jewish historian Josephus, um, he says that Samuel was 12 years old when God called him. That's pretty young, right? God called him at a very young age, 12 years old. Everybody in here over 12? Okay, so we have no excuses, right? God will call us young, he'll call us old. It doesn't matter how old we are, God will call the children. He'll call so many different people, the elderly. God calls Samuel when he's a child. And God, he wasn't just calling Samuel because he had something to tell him. 
That's not just the calling. It's not just the word proclaim. Remember that word kara, it also means to appoint. He wasn't just calling him to proclaim something to him. He was calling him because he was appointing him to something. He had a calling on his life. See, God was calling Samuel to be the next judge of Israel. See, Samuel would be the last judge of Israel. After the time of Moses, you look at the book of Judges, God had different judges leading Israel over different periods of time. We're in this interesting transition between the judges and the kings. Samuel was the last judge. Saul was the first king. We'll talk about that in the next couple weeks. But we see God, he wasn't just calling Samuel to speak something to him, just to deliver a message. He had a calling on his life. And this is where he begins to establish that calling. See, just as God called Samuel, God's called you. Point number two, God has called you. God has called you. And I'm not saying that God has just called you to say something to you, to whisper something in your ear, or even just to give you a message to give someone else. God has a calling on your life. He has a serious calling on your life. Do you believe that? If you believe that, do you know what it is? Do you know what God's called you to do? Now, it could be to be a father It could be to be a husband. It could be to be a wife or a mother. Or it could be to be single. It could be all these different things. I'm not talking about those practical things. I'm talking about spiritual things. See, God, he created you. He put you together. He knitted you together in your mother's womb for a specific purpose. And it's probably much greater than the purpose that you realize. There's specific gifts he's given you. There's a personality that he's given you. He's given you experiences that no one else has exactly experienced. He's given you certain experiences so that you can relate to others that have experienced those same general experiences. Whatever it is, the Lord has placed a calling on your life. But do you know what it is? The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul tells us this. He says, If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He said you died when you answered that call, when you accepted Jesus into your life. God, he gave you a calling. Now, you might not know what that calling is, but Paul tells us your life is hidden in Christ. Meaning, as you seek Christ, as you pursue the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, as you devote yourself in that relationship, your life. Your purpose, your calling, it'll be revealed. God's not hiding it from you because he doesn't want you to know. No, he's hiding it from you because he wants you to seek it with your whole heart. He wants you to want it for yourself as bad as he wants it for you. So he hides it so that you will ultimately find it. But there has to be effort. There has to be energy. There has to be dedication and devotion into the finding of it. And when you find it, will you respond to it? If you do know what you've been called to do, as far as the Lord is concerned, 
have you respond to that calling? See, a calling does us no good if we don't respond to it, right? God might call us to something, but if we say, no, God, I, I, I want my own thing. I don't want that thing. I would rather do this thing. This will is, is more comfortable to me than that calling may be. If we don't respond to the calling, what's the point? I mean, you could call me on my cell phone all day long. But until I pick up the phone and respond, we ain't getting anywhere, okay? Right? We're not going to get anywhere in the conversation if you just keep calling me and calling me and calling me until what? I pick up the phone. God's calling and calling and calling and calling. How often is the phone going to ring before we pick it up and we're like, hey God, what do you want me to do? That's exactly what Samuel does. Look what he does. He picks up the phone, if you will. Verse number four, he says, here I am. He says, here I am. He answered him. He responded. He responded with willingness. He was ready. You're called, but are you willing to answer the call? The response is so important. See, the disciples, they were willing. They were willing to respond to the calling that the Lord Jesus placed on their lives. If you look at Luke chapter 5, we see the Lord call four of the disciples, four of the fishermen. We know who they were, but look at the story. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. Look at verse 3. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid from now on. You will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. See, Jesus met the disciples where they were at as they were fishing. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, while they're operating in their job, they're trying to make a living. Jesus basically cuts them off. He says, hey, this was your own calling for your life. I got a different calling for your life. Now you're not just going to catch fish. You're going to be fishers of men. See, their jobs got in the way of their calling. And there's things that can get in the way of our calling. I don't know what it might be for you, but you've got to ask yourself what's preventing you if something is from the calling that God has placed on your life. Maybe it's your job like it was for the disciples. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's fear of failure. God, I don't want to answer that call because I'm afraid I'm going to fail. Maybe it's fear of man. I'm afraid of what other people are going to think of me. You might have called me to this, but I'm afraid of what everybody else has to say. Maybe it's sin. Whatever the case may be, there's a calling that God has placed on each and every one of our lives. And if we don't respond to it, if we're not willing to answer it, then sadly but surely that calling will be in vain. See, the disciples, they had to dock their boats 
They docked their boats. They gave it up. They forsook all and they followed Jesus. If there's something preventing you from answering that calling, I encourage you, dock your boat. Forsake it. Follow him because the calling that God placed on your life, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, his will is perfect. It's pleasing. It's acceptable. It's so much better than what we want for ourselves. It's so much better than anything we can plan for ourselves. It might be scary. There might be fear attached, but the reward is something so much more. God had this special calling on Samuel's life and it wasn't just for him. It was for the entire nation. We don't know who will affect by answering the calling that he's placed on our life. Look, what's ha- look what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 5. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the, then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. So we see Samuel, he doesn't yet know the voice of the Lord. Nevertheless, he hears that he's called and what does he do? He runs immediately to Eli. Though he's wrong in thinking it's Eli, we see an important character quality in the person of Samuel. He's eager. He's eager to respond to the calling. This is actually God's calling on his life and he's eager to respond to it. Are you eager to respond to God's calling on your life? Now, that can be the big picture thing, the general thing. What's called God's called you to general in the body of Christ? What's your identity in the body of Christ? But it can also be specifically. It could be what God's calling you to in the morning. What God's trying to speak to you in the morning. What do I mean? Does God have to drag you out of bed in the morning for you to get in your devotions? Does God have to like pull your toe and rip the covers off to get you to get in the word? Is it like a, oh, I got to do this again. Okay, I'm going to do my devotions, but I can't stand that. I have to get up early and I have to pray and I have to seek God in his word. Is it like, is that, is that your response? Is that, is, is that your heart to it? Like, woe is me. I have to read the Bible. It's like, if that's your heart, then I, then I, then I think God would probably be like, eh, yeah, take a break for a little bit. Come back to me when you're eager, when you're ready, when you're like Samuel, when you're running to me, ready to respond to me. Let me ask you this. When your alarm goes off in the morning, are you a snoozer? Are you one of those that it's the snooze button? Are you like, yeah, I'll get up later. Okay. For those of you specifically that do your devotions in the morning, which I know is all of you because that's what the Bible tells us to do. Do you say, eh, I'll put it off. I'll give me more, eight more minutes. Give me 15 more minutes. Give me 20 more minutes. Or he's like, hey, I'm ready. Is your finger quick to hit the snooze button? Or are your feet quick to hit the ground running? Which one is it? Which kind of person are you? Samuel, he was that person that was eager. He was ready to hear from the Lord. This is the middle of the night. Okay, Alarm clock hasn't even gone off. God's waking him up in the middle of the night. He's ready to hear from the Lord. Don't be the snooze button person. Be the person that's ready, that's eager to wake up and get up early. This is so convicting for me right now. Because I've been like sick all week and I keep hitting the snooze button. And it's not like me, but it's happening. And I was reading this and I'm like, no, I can't use sickness as an excuse to hit the snooze button. I got to get up. I got to seek you in your word. That's not who I want to be. I don't, I don't want to be the guy that hits the snooze button. I want to be the guy like Samuel that gets up eager, ready. God, what do you have to say to me? 
And I just, I don't want to just hear it. I want to respond to it. What do you have for me today? Speak to me. And I want to do it. I want to walk in everything that you have for me today. See, if we want to hear his voice, we've got to get out of bed. You've got to get out of bed. You can't expect to hear his, hear his voice if you're just laying in bed all day. Samuel, he got up out of bed. He was ready to hear God's voice. He says, Eli responds, I did not call you. Lie down again. See, Samuel, he didn't recognize God's voice. The next verse in verse 6, it's going to say, because he didn't know God. We'll get into that in a second. But he didn't recognize God's voice because he didn't know him. Now, now this wasn't like a, a, a low blow or a criticism of Samuel. He was just young. He hasn't experienced the Lord for himself yet. He's been ministering to the Lord. He's been faithful in his pursuit of the Lord, but it, God hadn't responded to him yet. This was the first time the Samuel experienced God for himself. See, God was speaking to him, but he didn't recognize God's voice. Do you recognize God's voice? Do you hear his voice? Do you, do you know when he's calling you specifically? Do you know when he's speaking to you specifically? Because Jesus, he says, this is a promise. In John chapter 10, if you would with me, Jesus introduces himself as the good shepherd. And he says this. In John chapter 10, verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He says, my sheep hear my voice. That's a promise. His sheep, if we're his, we're going to hear his voice. Now we know there's periods of silence, okay? See that in Matthew 15 and other places for different reasons. Okay, but he says, if you're my sheep, you're going to hear my voice. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to tell you things, and you're going to know that it's me. My voice is, is distinct. It's not your voice. It's, it's my voice. Are you hearing from him? Are you recognizing his voice? Is God speaking to you? Now, it might not be audibly like it likely was from Sam, for Samuel. This is what the scripture uh, seems to reveal, that this was an audible voice, right? Because he thought it was Eli, okay? I've never had God speak to me audibly, but I've had God speak to me in many ways. And he says that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God who at various times and various ways spoke. God, he speaks in various ways. Often he'll speak through the word. Word of God is living and powerful. So he'll speak through the word. He'll, he'll speak through prayer. He'll speak through visions. He'll speak through dreams. He'll speak through people. We see him even speak through a donkey in scripture. Okay, so nothing limits him. He can speak through really anyone or anything. But when he speaks, do you recognize his voice? Are you hearing his voice? Because if you're not listening to his voice, then whose voice are you listening to? Your flesh, the enemy, the world? It's one of those things. Or the Lord. There's one voice that we need to be in tune to, and that's the good shepherd's voice. If we're a sheep, we're going to hear his voice. He promises that. We got to be in tune to his voice. And not just his voice, our wife's voice as well. Okay, so if your wife is speaking to you, listen, listen to her. God will use her. He uses my wife to speak to me all the time. But seriously, being in tune to the good shepherd's voice. If we are his sheep, we will hear his voice. Samuel, he didn't recognize the voice of the Lord yet, but he will hear in a moment. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 6. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. 
So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So we see Samuel, he didn't know the Lord yet. That's why he couldn't hear that it was God speaking. He didn't know that it was the Lord speaking to him. See, Samuel, 12 years of uh, what he he probably got dedicated. We talked about two or three. So he has about uh, nine to ten years of ministry. He's doing priestly duties. He's doing all kinds of stuff there in the tabernacle. He's learning a lot about God. He knows about God, but he doesn't know God. Sadly, but surely, that seems to be the case. Uh, Often in the church, there's many that know about God. Uh, Maybe they grew up in the church like Samuel did, in other words, and they know all these things about God and they can recite scripture and and they know what the scripture says. They know uh, uh, pretty much who God is as he's revealed in the scripture, but they don't know him. It's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Samuel knew about God, but he didn't know God. It didn't matter that Samuel's parents knew God. We know Elkanah and Hannah, they were faithful worshipers of God, right? It didn't matter that he was dedicated to God as a baby, as there are many in the church that are dedicated as babies to God. None of that mattered. Not his parents' relationship with the Lord, not the fact that he was living and breathing and doing life in the tabernacle and involved in ministry. None of that mattered. He didn't yet know the Lord. Now for the first time, He's going to know God. He's going to establish that personal relationship with God. And as he establishes that personal relationship, as he gets to know God, now he's going to be able to recognize his voice. See, we can't recognize God's voice until we know him, not just about him, but know him intimately. That's why it says, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. See, we can't see the word for what it is, until we know the Lord for who he is. The scripture tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Meaning the natural man, the man that doesn't know God, the man that hasn't accepted Jesus Christ, the man that doesn't have the indwelling spirit, he he can't see the word for what it is. It's just words on a page. He can't spiritually discern it. Why? Because he doesn't know the Lord. We can't understand the depth of the scriptures until we know the lord personally now that doesn't mean that we're not going to have questions and there's gonna be oh i don't get this i need to learn this those types of things but i'm saying when we know the lord and the spirit fills us the spirit indwells in us he reveals to us this truth that's in the scriptures the the depth of truth in fact uh, jesus tells us the spirit will guide us in all truth but we're only going to see the power of god's word when we know the lord when we have that intimate relationship first samuel chapter 3 verse 8 and the lord called samuel again the third time so he arose and went to eli and said here i am for you did call me Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. We see for the third time, and he's going to call him a fourth time. God continues to call Samuel. God is relentless in his calling. 
You will continue to call and call and call until we either respond or we decide we're not going to. One or the other. But the Lord, He's faithful to continue to call us and call us and remind us, this is what I've called you to, not that. Don't get distracted by this. This is what I've called you to, this specific thing. Don't worry about these other things. Don't be distracted by these things. This is what I've called you to. And he's faithful to remind us until we either again respond by following, respond by submitting, or respond by saying, I I, I don't want it. I don't want your calling on my life. Samuel, luckily, he's going to respond to this calling. First Samuel chapter three, verse nine. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and call called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, for your servant hears. So it says the Lord came and stood. This is perhaps a Christophany or a theophany. That's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. The thought is, we talked a lot about this in Genesis. There's a lot of them there. Uh, But the thought is that if Jesus always was, always is, always will be, if he is the Alpha and Omega, we should see evidence of him in the Old Testament. And we do. We see evidence of Jesus all over the Old Testament. We see a man often referred to as the angel of the Lord appearing to people. And people bow down and worship him. Okay, we know that angels can't receive worship. That's what John tells us in Revelation. He gets rebuked for worshiping angels, but this angel of the Lord can receive worship. Why? Because this angel of the Lord is equal to the Lord in authority and power. So this man that's standing there is likely the person Jesus Christ. Samuel, he responds just as Eli told him, speak for your servant hears. See, God, he won't force us to hear him. If we want to hear him, then we have to respond with open ears and willing hearts. Samuel, Samuel, I got something for you. I want to tell you something. But until you respond and say, hey, God, what do you want to say to me? I'm not going to tell you. See, the Lord, he wants to speak things to us. But if we close our ears, we can't expect to hear from him. If we respond like Samuel, hey, God, what do you want me to tell? What do you want to say to me? What do you want to speak to me personally? I'm open to it. What do you have for me? What do you want to tell me? Speak for your servant hears. Then then, then we're given an opportunity for God to, to speak to us. Not that we prevent him from speaking, but inviting that, 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 that word from the Lord into our lives. There's something to this. And we see this in Samuel. He invites the word of God into his life. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 11. Now it's one thing to invite the word into our, our lives. It's another thing when God asks us to do something with it, as he's going to have Samuel do in a second. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. That's scary. 
we see these are uh, very much the same words, very similar words that uh, the man of God said to Eli already. So Samuel is basically receiving, uh, in other words, the same prophecy that the man of God received concerning Eli and his house. And we see this judgment. God already made up his mind. There's no coming back from this. There's no atonement. There's no sacrifice. I pleaded with you before, but you continued to do what uh, uh, what I was telling you not to do. I wanted you to confront your sons and prevent them from doing this thing. And they continued in it. You didn't restrain them. So now there's no going back from this. Now it says in verse 15, so Samuel laid down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. The weight of God's word was heavy. This was a heavy word from the Lord. Like you think about it, 12 years old, the first direction you hear from God, hey, this is what I want you to tell that your leader, in other words, that him and his whole house is getting judged, okay? And there's no atonement, there's no sacrifice, there's no repentance at this point. He's getting judged. It's like, couldn't the first word have been like a word of encouragement or something, you know? It's like, come on, like, really, God, the first one you give Samuel, it's like this harsh word. But yes, that's exactly what it was. God was testing his man, though he was a young man. Samuel, it says, he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. See, it's one thing to invite the word of God into our lives, right? Like, speak, your servant hears. It's another thing to do what he's telling you to do. He was okay to hear the word, but now that he's got to do something with it, now that he's got to deliver it, he's got to speak it, now it's like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be that. thought you were going to tell me something else, something more inspiring, something more encouraging, anything but this. So Samuel, he's afraid. See, we often warmly welcome the word of the Lord. And sometimes he'll speak to us and there's that initial excitement like, wow, God spoke to me. Isn't it so cool when God speaks to us? Like, dude, it's amazing. Like the God of this universe, he wants to speak to us and he does. And it's really exciting when we hear from the Lord until what? We got to do something with it. Until he gives us a direction that might be difficult. It might be exciting and difficult at the same time. I have this happen time and time again in my life. For example, when God called me to marry my wife, that's what I wanted. He gave me that. He he confirmed that. I knew it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is real now. I mean, there's no going back from this. Once I committed, there's very few decisions in your life that you make that decision. You can't go back from it. That was one of those. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a little afraid. I'm a little scared. Yay, God spoke to me, but now I got to do something with it. There's fear attached. See. Even God telling us that we're going to have a son. Like, man, that was so cool. Like, dude, God told me that we were going to have a son. I have, I have a record of it. On a Wednesday night, I shared from the pulpit that God told us we're going to have a son. And God told us we're going to have, we're going to have a son. But now the son's coming, and I'm terrified. He's going to be here. I'm like afraid. Yes, God spoke. And now it's like, oh, no, now i got to raise a kid. Wow, life is going to change, right? It's the truth, though. We warmly welcome the word of God until it comes to pass, until he calls us to do something with it. Samuel, he's being tested in this moment. Yeah, you invited my word. This is the word that I have for you. And you're going to do something with it. At least I'm telling you to do something with it. And Samuel, reluctantly, he does. Look what happens. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 16. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. 
He answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. So we see Eli, he wanted to hear the truth. He wanted to hear the truth, even though he knew likely the truth was going to hurt. Why? Because the last thing that he heard from the Lord through the man of God was that he was going to be judged. Okay, So he knows that it can't be anything good at this point, but he warmly welcomes the word of God into his life, even though he knows it's probably going to hurt. Do you invite God's truth in your life, even though you know it might hurt? Do you only invite the encouraging words when you read your devotions? Do you look through and it's like, mm, the judgment stuff, I'll, I'll skip that. The sin stuff, eh, not that one. Oh, I'm good there, I'm good there. Oh, this one's, this is a good word from the Lord. This is encouraging. This is, this is a, a worthy of Facebook for me to put on Facebook. This is an inspiring word. Do you like skip through like that? Or you're like, wait, wait, no. God said that one. He said you're prideful. He, he said you're judgmental. He said you're whatever. And that's the word that God has for you that morning like oh man that one do you invite the truth even when it hurts see eli though he didn't step up when he was supposed to step up and confront his sons there is something that we see that's respectable in eli he's inviting the truth in this moment even though he knows it's likely going to hurt see jesus tells us in john chapter 8 verse 32 that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free right? Whether it's pleasing or displeasing, regardless of what the truth is, we know the ultimate goal of the truth is to set us free, even when it hurts. So if we can have that perspective, I think we would all agree that, hey, I would rather hear a hard truth and it hurt for a while than believe a lie and live in bondage, right? So he invites the truth, he hears the truth, Samuel's going to deliver the truth in this next verse. Look what it says, verse 18. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him and said, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel told him everything. This again was Samuel's first big test as a prophet. Will you speak the truth even though you know it's going to hurt someone? Will you speak the truth even though you know the person that's receiving it is not going to like what you have to say? Will you speak the truth even when you're afraid? Point number three, speak the truth despite your fear. Speak the truth despite your fear. See, Samuel, he was afraid. It says that he was afraid to tell this to Eli. Though he did it reluctantly, nevertheless, he did it. He spoke the truth despite his fear. See, Samuel, right off the bat, we see he had a greater fear of God than man. And this is important. Paul says it in other words. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would no longer be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He says, who, who am I working for here? Yeah, I love people, but, but am I trying to lead as a leader that's just trying to seek to please people and tell them what they want to hear? Or am I, am I seeking to please God? And am I ready to tell people what they don't want to hear? Am I willing to speak the truth even though I know they're not going to like it? Even though I know they might not agree with me? See, Samuel, he had more fear of God than man. He was able to speak the truth even though he was afraid. And we're each called to this, and this can be hard. 
we're called to deliver God's message even when it hurts someone, even when it causes pain. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have tact in our delivery. He he tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 to speak the truth in love, but there are times when God gives us a word for an individual and he says, hey, who are you more afraid of, me or them? See, God will tell us to speak hard things to certain people in certain circumstances. There was a time, um, just one example, uh, a former Patmos student that, that he kept struggling with integrity. We would give him these challenges and he wouldn't do them. And, and he was very being very deceitful and, and, and just cutting corners in the whole thing. And it's like he was one of my small group students and I was really good friends with his brother and my, and my heart just went out to this kid. And there was part of me that was frustrated and, and I was praying for him and I was seeking the Lord for him. And God gave me this. Let me read it to you. In Malachi chapter one, this is what God gave me for him. Malachi chapter 1, last Old Testament book, Malachi chapter 1, verse 7, says, You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible, and when you offer the blind as a sick as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would it he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? See context the priests were offering like the worst of what they had they were supposed to offer unblemished lambs and sacrifices and they were offering blemished lambs but the lord gave me that for this specific student because he wasn't giving god his best he was he was cut in corners he was giving god his least his last he was just trying to get by and he wasn't giving god his whole heart and the lord gave me this for him and i'm like man god that's rough that's harsh I don't want to tell them that. I don't want to shake. Is there like a way for me to say this and not say that? And I was like, hey, what are you going to do? Are you more, do you have fear of me or, or, or fear of man? Are you going to speak the truth even though you know this is going to hurt them? And I did. And I sat him down and I spoke this to him and I, and I explained and, and where I saw this in his life and he was angry. He wouldn't even look at me. So angry at me. How could you say this? I'm here. I've dedicated these four months. Whatever. In my mind, I'm giving it enough. Yada, yada, yada. He was mad at me for a little while until he started to see it, until the Lord started to reveal the same truth to him. And then he thanked me for it. He was grateful for it. He's like, thank you for giving me that truth. Why? Because that truth set him free. He didn't see it at first, but ultimately he captured it because the Lord was truly speaking that for him. And this truth, it, it, it delivered him. See, God, he will give us hard truth sometimes to speak to people. Love doesn't always look like like comfort. Sometimes love is, is tough love. The Lord isn't reluctant to give us hard truth when we need it. He says, look at how Eli responds. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So though Eli didn't like what he heard, he accepted it. He accepted, okay, I know this is from the Lord. It's the same thing the other guy told me. So so I'm going to receive this thing. I'm going to make the most of this. See, Samuel couldn't control how Eli would respond. Samuel could only control 
whether he chose to communicate what God told him to or not. See, we can, can only control what God tells us to do, whether we choose to be obedient or disobedient. We can't control how a person receives the word of God. Our job is simply to deliver the message. Luckily, Eli receives this. He doesn't reject it. He accepts it. Let's look what happens. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 19. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. See, Samuel was growing not just physically, but he was growing spiritually. See, Samuel was now able to grow so much more spiritually because now he had established a relationship with his heavenly father. Though his parents were gone, right? Though his earthly father, Elkanah, was gone. Though his earthly mother, Hannah, was gone. He was beginning to understand that he had a heavenly father that was with him. It says the Lord was with him and he grew. He was growing because he was investing into that relationship with his heavenly father. Though his parents were gone, he wasn't parentless. He had a heavenly father. See, Samuel couldn't become a great leader until he realized he had a great father. And as he grew in this relationship with his father, he could become the great leader. See, because he knew the Lord was with him, the Lord had his back. The Lord wanted to communicate to him. He wanted to talk to him. Samuel, for him to be a great leader, he first had to understand how much his heavenly father loved him. And once he received that heavenly, that, that love from his heavenly father, now he was able to deliver that love. Now he was able to lead with love these people that were in such a state of darkness. Point number four, four you can only deliver what you're receiving. You can only deliver what you're receiving. This applies to the word of God. It also applies to the love of God. See, not only was Samuel growing in the word of God and understanding God, he was growing in the love of God because God was with him. He knew God loved him. He wanted an intimate relationship with him. And because Samuel began to realize this, he continued to grow and grow. See, God showed up in Samuel's life. And Samuel was able to actually experience God's love through a conversation and other conversations. See, God met him right where he was at. And Samuel knew, he knew without a shadow of a doubt when God had loved him because he experienced it. See, we can know what the Bible says about God loving us, right? God, God talks about how much he loves us uh, probably more than any other thing in the Bible. Love is mentioned so many different times. And we know what the Bible says, that God loves us. But until we experience that love, we're not going to believe it. I can know what it says. But there's one thing to, to, to know. It's one thing to know what the Bible says about God's love. For me, it's another thing to experience. Remember, Samuel knew about God. He likely knew that God loves his people. But until this moment, he hadn't experienced it. Once he experienced it, now he's able to grow in it. Same thing applies for us. We can know about God's love for us, but until we experience it, until we encounter him, we're not really going to believe it. 
Because when we experience it, then we'll believe it. And when we believe it, that's when true change happens. See, God's love changes us from the inside out. But it's not just knowing about it. It's about knowing it. It's that gnosko. It's about experiencing it. That, that, that intimate, experiential knowledge of God's love. And when that happens, then growth happens. Samuel has this encounter with the Lord. And that's the very thing that stimulates this growth. That's the thing that shapes him and molds him to become the the man, the leader that God has called him to become. And it says, verse 19, that none of his words fell to the ground. What does that mean? All his prophecies, they came true. All of his prophecies, everything that Samuel said, they came true. None of his words fell to the ground. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. So these prophecies are spreading this, uh, this, this encounter that Samuel had with the Lord. It wasn't just one. It had been several at this point, and, and it's spreading. See, now the people know that Samuel is, a, is an established prophet. Why? Because the things that he's saying are coming true. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, you can write it down. Basically, uh, <laughs> Moses tells us how you know whether a prophet's a legit or not. It's pretty simple. If what they say comes true, they're a legit prophet, okay? If what they say doesn't come true, they're not a legit prophet. So Samuel's established as a prophet because what he's saying is actually coming to pass. Verse 21, Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. See, God continued to reveal himself to Samuel by what? By his word. He was speaking to him. See, God, he reveals himself to us various times, various ways, but primarily through the word. If you want to know God on a deeper level, seek him in his word, not just coming to church, but seeking him personally. And don't just open up the word and read it. Pray, ask God. Pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Pray that he'd open the eyes of your understanding as we were talking about on Sunday. But pray that he would speak to you, that he would reveal these things to you. And then when we open the word so often, he will, just as he was with Samuel, he's revealing himself to Samuel through his word. And lastly, it says, First Samuel chapter 4, verse 1, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Remember, Israel in a, in a state of darkness. And now through one man answering the calling that God placed on his life, this whole nation is being brought from a place of darkness to a place of light. Okay, it wasn't just one, one moment. This is a process. Okay, they're still working through it. But because one man responded to God's calling, now these people are starting to be brought towards the light. See, without vision, a people perish but with vision of people thrive. And now God's speaking to this man and this man, he's delivering these messages and the people, they're hearing these things. They're realizing God is still with them, that he has a plan, he has a purpose. Now they're not out of the thick of it yet. We're gonna see in chapter four, Philistines are gonna take the ark and all these different things are gonna happen. But it's the beginning of, of something special that the Lord's establishing. And again, he's using one man. This man God called him, he responded. God called him not only to hear what he had to say, but God called him to communicate what he had given him. See, as I discussed in the very beginning, God calls us not just to receive his word, but to deliver his word. God 
He's called each and every one of us. And we'll never know how many people can be impacted until we respond to that calling. Through this one man, God's going to bring many people from a place of darkness to a place of light. How many people will God use through you if you were to answer this calling? If you were to respond to what God has called you to specifically, if you would dock the boats, if you would put the busyness aside, if you would let go of the fear, if you would let go of the sin, if you would let go of whatever it is that's preventing you, how many people would be brought from that place of darkness to that place of light? For Samuel, it's going to be an entire nation. But God has called each and every one of us, and he will use each and every one of us. But... The calling's only good if we respond to it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the example in Samuel. God, and the encouragement. Uh, so young, not knowing your voice, um, to becoming such a powerful leader, such a, such a powerful um, prophet, uh, reshaping a nation. Lord, I pray that uh, you would give each and every one of us the, the strength to, to, to answer our calling. Lord, what you've called us to specifically, God, as far as your kingdom is concerned, Lord, that you would give us the, the, the confidence in you to, to answer that calling. And Lord, that we would be a part of bringing people from, from darkness to, to light, people from not hearing you and not knowing you to, to knowing you and hearing from you and walking with you. God, so I pray that for each member of this body, those that are here, those that aren't, every person on this mountain, Lord, speak to them. God, if you wake them up in the middle of the night like you did Samuel, do it. Whatever it takes, Lord, I pray that you would just be relentless in your calling that you wouldn't stop till they respond and answer it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.